Hello, everyone. Today I'm queued up with Papa Smithy, LCK caster turned 100 Thieves general manager, the man, the myth, the legend himself. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? Happy to be here, Dash. It's, it's been a while since we've chatted, since what, World Final a couple exactly of months ago. That. So happy to be here, but in a, I guess, a slightly different chair than I'm used to. And I, ex exactly that. And in the biggest of news for the offseason, uh, that became your last Worlds, at least as of, of now, yep. as a caster. Uh, and you've transitioned into this uh, management role over mm -hmm. at 100 Thieves, specifically the general management role. Uh, we'll get into what that means, what you're doing over there at that org, but I kind of want to backpedal a little bit sure. and figure out how we even got to that point. Um, you were known as the LCK guy. I mean, it was uh, Monty Doa originally, and then uh, they departed with you coming in, and you've been the person to go to when it came to LCK expertise and knowledge. What was that like? What did that mean for you to, to make the decision to let that go, to give that up to pursue something else? I've always been someone who really tried to focus on kind of career goals, life goals, you know, medium-term, long-term goals. I think a lot of people in our profession are always thinking about where something's leading. Um, and ever since I started at the LCK four and a half years ago, I was made aware by Christopher or Monty that, you know, his tenure with the LCK wasn't going to be infinite. And they mm -hmm. saw me as someone who would follow in his footsteps. So I was groomed in a way to kind of take on that responsibility and then whacked in the face with it, you know, in 2017 when that happened. Yep. Uh, and it wasn't a mantle that I took lightly. I understood that there was going to be an uphill battle to replace kind of what was an irreverent duo for so long, a super popular duo. Um, and that was something that I felt like I rose to and that I was happy to receive all the kind of feedback that people were still really enjoying the product after such visible faces left. And so there was those very obvious medium-term goals of making sure the fans liked the new product, um, getting to work Riot events, because that was something that was also a couple of years into my career, rising to work a world final like we did for the first time uh, in 2017 in the Bird's Nest, right? Yeah. Or the world finals there, the Samsung 3.0. Um, and for that point, rolling through starting a casting career to getting actually employed as a full-time caster to being the face of a broadcast to being on the analyst test for a world final, the year later casting a world final, like that was a very obvious kind of hype train or a very obvious pipeline mm -hmm. that I followed. It's just that after that was over, the question of what came next arose because I, I never liked to rest on my laurels. I always liked to find a new project to work on. And so this last year, it was a lot of um, streaming and doing kind of other content pieces where possible, coordinating with the Riot Korea side to get some features greenlit and things mm -hmm. like that. And that was kind of growing out in a different but related direction. But then there was still this voice in the back of my head kind of whispering like, is this enough? And are there other directions within the realm of esports that I would like to explore? So so it was 28, following the 2018 season in Worlds, that was kind of the first time the questions of what comes after casting for me really started to jump into your mind? Yeah, that's, that's, I would say that's a pretty fair assessment. I had the origin offer I've talked about before yep. to be a head coach, so above a drafting coach, but not quite a GM. And that felt like a possibility. And I debated, am I moving to Copenhagen, working with a good friend in Deficio and starting something up there? And there were days when I was doing it. There were days where I wasn't doing it. Um, and at the end of the day, it felt like 
it was a position that was almost what I wanted, but there was that worry that I would be kind of superfluous. Like I wasn't the general manager. I wasn't the drafting coach. Mm. And I was afraid of being kind of a figurehead that was a nice to have, but didn't really have all those deliverables, all those very clear things I needed to do. Meanwhile, in the LCK, you know, I was still relied upon to lead a team and to start initiatives. The Riot Career Broadcast was just starting up. So they needed a familiar face to transition through. Right. And so I just said, okay, this is almost there, but it doesn't feel like the time. And so when the 100 Thieves offer came up, you know, towards the end of 2019, that's why I kind of revisited where I was, where I wanted to go and ultimately made the decision to to leave the LCK. I think that's interesting uh, in a sense that you, you pointed out uh, some of your duties and responsibilities at the LCK. I, I should note for, for people at home that... Uh, different than say being here in North sure. America or yeah. in EU that a lot more of those administrative maybe managerial responsibilities did fall on you whereas there's somebody there to kind of handle that uh, above me here in North America but to some degree you were having to operate on a business front a little bit more on that professional bu business front and maybe equipping yourself with some skills that would then translate into a managerial role uh, here with 100 Thieves. Definitely the autonomy is different just because we were always freelance and because the English broadcast was always a splinter of the kind of Korean production that originally, as everybody knows, was OGN and SPO TV and vendors were handling. So it wasn't, you know, Riot Korea had this vision and followed it through and then assigned it to vendors. It was done by the vendors. And then eventually Riot Korea took on the reins in 2019. So there was a lot for them to answer questions. Like the most funny example here is that the MVP system was something that OGN just kind of inherited from previous broadcasts, whacked onto the broadcast in 2012, you know, before even the LCS got going. And so the MVP system was there. Right. And then Riot takes it on. There's no rule book that talks about the MVP. It just was there because OGN did it seven years earlier. And it's, do we just do it the same? Do right. We change it? So because they inherited the reins and then they inherited the English Splinter broadcast, which had already grown, you know, seven years in to be a kind of special thing with lots of irreverent StarCraft talk and yep. going off topic and all the feedback points that I'm sure you see LCS casters get. Be more like them. It's like, right. no, we just kind of did a thing. and we're just, we're I've so just always been jealous of the outfits. <laughs> I just want suits like that. Oh, the rainbow suits. I never got to wear the rainbow suits. <laughs> the, oh, I was going to say, okay, you didn't get to wear the rainbow no. ones. Is there a specific suit that jumps out in your mind from your LCK days where you're like, that one was either just like so ostentatious oh. And, or even abominable like people it's funny because people would always assume we dressed ourselves like why are you always wearing the same clothes but it was very much you know uniform right yeah and sometimes you'd roll in first day and you'd be like oh i'm wearing a loud pink <laughs> jumper and that's gonna be the yeah. whole that's gonna be the right. whole season that's it that's it <laughs> and it's it's something that you definitely go into because you you understand how people other like the fans are going to perceive it and you're like, oh they're really going to like this because i'm just going to look really silly yeah and you just roll with it and you're like yep this is what i wear now you know you puff it out you have a good time in a weird in a weird way like i'm going to call it costuming yourself mm -hmm. in that way like it gives you permission to to be more ridiculous in other regards mm -hmm. right because you've already you've already kind of crossed that threshold of what would be shame right you know like it's not an outfit i would have chosen for myself so maybe i feel a little embarrassed wearing it but Meanwhile, because I'm wearing been, it on air. You've been so colorful over the years. I'm I, thinking of what, purple mohawks <laughs> I've had and the purple like mohawk. that. that was all you, right? That was all me. That was me d d desperately, I don't know what kind of phase in my <laughs> Grab, life that Grabbing was. at something? Yeah, I don't know. I came in and I went to Kim uh, and I was like, Kim, I've just, I've always wanted to do something crazy with my mm -hmm. hair. Can I do it? And she's like, I'll work with you to find a time to do it. All Stars is obviously it. 
I chose purple of all colors. Hey, and it's it, my was color. like a, it was like, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of my favorite colors, but it went more of like a fuchsia purple <laughs> than like a deep purple. That was an interesting time in my life. But uh, yes, I've been right there with you with some of the uh, audacity when it comes to uh, uh, clothing. Um, but in speaking about um, this transition, I want to jump back to the point you made around uh, having the origin head coaching uh offer, but understanding or at least arriving at the conclusion that that was not necessarily the position you wanted. Mm -hmm. And so I'll ask you this, when those questions started jumping into your brain back in 2018 of like, hey, what's next? What's after casting? Was GM something that came to you easily in in identifying like that is the type of role um, that I want, the type of authority or responsibility that I want to have in an org? I think the Short answer is yes, but the long answer is that even the GM term is kind of whacked on to 10 people, one each org, and the <laughs> yeah. responsibilities are, are very different. So I kind of had an idea of the things I wanted to do, the okay. responsibilities, the oversight I wanted, the amount of influence I wanted to be able to exert. And I don't think every GM is built equally, and I don't think every org needs that level of GM. So for example, for myself, I was very much... a uh, if it says League of Legends, like merchandising, branding, roster selection, staff, et cetera, I want to at least be consulted on it and if possible have final kind of decision on this Okay. rather than just I want to look nice in front of the camera and do a bit of content and smile, Pop Smithy's there, kind of figurehead role. Yeah. And I made that kind of very clear early on in the piece and I said, look, if that's not what 100 Thieves is looking for, I understand and I respect that and there might be a better candidate. But if I'm going to leave being entrenched in a profession I really enjoy, I loved casting. I loved casting the LCK. It was my first dream of my esports career to even work at OGN to do League of Legends, let alone grow to the extent and be able to be involved in the Riot broadcast over time. So it was very much, uh, I know there's a perfect role out there for me. And I'll wait for it. You know, I'm happy to to take my time because another year casting LCK is in no way like a, a poison chalice or right. anything like that. It's absolutely something that I would have embraced. I think it's important, right, to take to take that that moment to acknowledge uh, kind of the incredible position you found yourself in mm-hmm. to to have to have an amazing job to be v- incredible at the work that you did in it to be very much the foremost expert on the LCK and uh, you know the go to color caster in that regard. Uh, and to have that still available to you while searching for this other thing. Um, just before we get into the actual 100 Thieves sure. aspect of this all, the other thing I wanted to talk about with you is this idea of legacy casters or how the turnover of casters in in professional League of Legends has kind of um, – uh, shown itself over the last 10 years. Sure. Um, we've had everything from the D, uh, Joe and D-Man uh, departures to the Monty and Doa departures. And then, you know, fast forward to today where you've got people like Shocks moving to Freelancer. Mm-hmm. Kobe did that earlier this year. Um, you know, that whole process. And, and just kind of, you know, the question to you is, um, is there a reason why you think things are trending that way and that there has been this kind of turnover, maybe as compared to traditional sports where you see people in an analyst or a hosting or a casting role for 30, 40, 50, 60 plus years? I think there's a lot of answers. And I know a lot of those cases you spoke about, there were individual circumstances, you know, even back to Joe and D-Man, that was the studio moving 
in Germany. Right, I was, that like was that. part of that was just geography. There's lots of different reasons for it to happen. I think one of the things you have to remember is that because we're such a new sport, you know, because we're now what, 10 years into what the League of Legends esports scene is, there are opportunities that, that pop up that in a traditional world or even in traditional sports, because it's a much older sport, those transitions aren't as easily made. Like caster to GM is, is a very big move. And yes. it's the sort of thing that there was lots of meetings. There was lots of work that went into kind of proving that I was the right candidate for it. But it's not like a you wouldn't see that too commonly in kind of traditional sports. And part be, partly because we're very much in an ecosystem that's growing. Positions like GM are morphing from one thing to another and thus potentially a different um, class or style of person is being kind of headhunted for different styles of role. I'm interested to see if in a year's time there's going to be turnover in the GM role um, towards a different style or whether things will stay the same. It's so hard to say. Yeah. But specifically, I guess the color casters have been largely the ones that have been cycling. It's yeah. It's that you you know we live our lives on the internet compared to say traditional sports where you play a, a traditional sport and then you might interact with your fans online. You might not. We play the game online. People have their Discord channels online, Twitter, and it, it's also in. We're plugged in constantly, so it's very easy to to slide in there and offer someone something, or to, because everything coexists in the same platform, see an opportunity, even just as an organization, and say, "Wait, I'd love to have that guy yeah. over here." And thus, you you get a lot of cold offers. I think everyone does, and you just have to assess what direction you want to move into. And I don't think there's any correct answer. Like I I think. I definitely always saw casting as a more short-term part of my career rather than a, the 30-year part of my career. But that's only because I had a professional job before where I kind of set goals and was very bullish about it. Right. And I wanted to see if I could parlay casting into something in the future. I just never knew what timeline we were talking about. And as League of Legends kept growing, that timeline didn't become a necessary one. Because some esports, you know, run for a couple of years and are done, right? And if you don't choose the right time to transition, yeah. you don't have a job. But League of Legends is here to stay. And that gave me the luxury to wait around, to really savor what I was doing, but also just make sure there wasn't another opportunity out there that at least in the short term seemed like a good move. So in a lot of ways, this was an intended path. Not necessarily GM at 100 no. Thieves was always my goal, but that going through you know mm -hmm. through casting and then on to more uh was was always something that was at on your mind yeah i'm someone who thinks about my skill set and while the broadcast side is something i've worked at for many many years you know i originally trained as a psychologist i worked as a school counselor there were moments participating in that job where you're working with young people mentoring um you know mediating conflicts and stuff and a lot of those apply to being a gm or working on the team side that I wanted to return to. You know, there was definitely parts of that life that I left behind as the esports journey started that I wanted to see, wait, there must be some way that, you know, esports and my talent set, both broadcast wise and previously, yeah. could come together. And that's kind of what I imagined the general manager position could grow to be. Do you think that esports casters have a different lifespan than traditional sports casters by virtue of the space? Can I still be the LCS host at age 40? Could Kobe still be an analyst at 40, 45, 50 for League and or another game? Is, is there something inherently different about esports that demands a shorter lifespan of the casters? 
I think coming again to my point about a lot of esports not being 10, 20 year products, if it's a short turnaround thing, then I think definitely the, the lifetime was short. But I think now that League of Legends has grown out, you know, puffed out its chest, it's 10 years in, it's, you know, only growing. Uh, in this particular case, I think we do have the luxury of potentially becoming 10, 20 year broadcast. I actually yeah. do think that you know, you've grown with the audience. The audience has gotten older in terms of the people that are there from the start, but young new people are coming in. And obviously you guys have leveled up to the point where, you know, you guys have a, a skill set and an association with a, a massive growing audience that is only ever strengthening, I think, rather than any issues coming there. So okay. I think for League of Legends, the answer is that uh, you're, here, you're here to stay as long as you want to, mm -hmm. um, assuming you keep up the great work that you do. I think for other games, and I think just as a general rule, I think you always kind of have to to test the waters and, and definitely keep yourself vigilant because not everyone is built equally on that particular yeah. side. I like that. I think I'll stick around for a little while if, if they'll have me. <laughs> um, all right, moving on to, to 100 Thieves. Sure. Um, first, what are your honest thoughts on 100 Thieves before you arrive. So when I, and, and maybe let's isolate specifically to 2019. I mean, because we could look all the way back to 2018, their inception, phenomenal spring split, finishing second uh, to TL, uh, and then having a bit of a, of a come down in summer. But more I want to identify since you came in following the 2019 season, kind of what your opinion and honest opinion of, of the, the roster, the team's successes or failures uh, throughout the 2019 season, you know, from that perspective. And then we'll talk about once you became GM, you know, having the the benefit of looking from the inside, what you thought. Well, I think you're kind of pigeonholing me. because I am a little 2019 bit. only and successes, which unfortunately there were very there weren't few. many. Um, and that was obviously a pain point for the organization because they looked at 2018, second in circuit points, uh, you know, made a final, weren't able to beat Team Liquid. And they said, okay, let's bring in Bang. Let's look for upgrades. We're close. Right. And they weren't. Is, is the reality there. As they thought they were close, they made the changes they thought that would become a championship roster, and it wasn't. But did you have an opinion from the outside as to why that is? Because again, I think a lot of, of us, course, we right? watched Bang get added to that roster, and a lot of us are like, yeah. boom, straight upgrade, right? Then this team should be better, and it didn't work. And so did you have an outward opinion on like, I, I think I can already identify mm -hmm. what's not working here? I think definitely, if you look at the style they proved to play this kind of slow scaling style in a, a faster paced meta. The moment that, yeah. you know, turret plates are involved where basically pre-14 minutes there's gold, you have to be aggressive to take it. The roster just didn't fit that configuration. Okay. So it's this it's this interesting balance where when you speak about the, the decisions made in 2019, the one thing I credit 100 Thieves for doing is saying, all right, we're close, let's upgrade to try to get better. Because not every team does that, right? Some teams stay together, power friendship, and then go too long and then they should have looked for the upgrade earlier. Right. I respect the fact that they looked for it. Obviously, the results bore out that it didn't work. Okay. And it's even coming in late, and you never want to just be like, what, you, what were you guys doing here? Yeah. But you very, I very much came in, and I was like, hey, like, I actually really respect the decision you made there. The fact that it didn't work isn't actually the part you should focus on. Like, It was correct to, to try to look for an upgrade. Right. Now we've got the learnings there, and let's try and go in a different direction. So... Obviously, 2019 successes were very few and far between. It was nice to see the renaissance towards the end of summer right. where they were able to put together a game plan that was getting them wins, and they were in the calculation for um, playoffs pretty late. This offer came in basically after the season it concluded for them or okay. around there, so obviously I was tangentially aware 
of what's happening in North America. You'll know this time zones, North America and Korea are not Quite the separate. Best. Yeah. So obviously following yeah. that. I was always, I'm always watching the LCK at yeah. two in the morning when I should be going to sleep Both for, right? for a show the next day. So at the end of the day, <laughs> my, my kind of takeaways of 100 Thieves were largely around what they had been so successful about and to zoom all the way back kind okay. of to 2017 when um, you know Nate Shot's releasing his announcement that they've been accepted into franchising and stuff. The thing that really attracted me about 100 Thieves is what they're really good at because 100 okay. Thieves having a what would emotional you, core. What right? would you identify as what 100 Thieves is very good at? So I think the burst of fandom, obviously Nate Shot as a brand is, is a, phen a phenom. I'm not from the Call of Duty or FPS world. So no. I, I only ever really knew of Nate Shot from his League of Legends persona, right? Or from mm -hmm. his persona on the highest or when it came to being accepted. And already you could see this warm, relatable person who's genuinely excited, who's coming into League of Legends with esports eyes, but new to the League of Legends scene and being this like emotional center of a piece. And that drew in a lot of fandom, right? His personality, his energy are just so infectious. And that was something that regardless of their results, because he was there to center it, you, you wanted to see them succeed. You had mm -hmm. a core to a concept, obviously branding wise, uh, they knocked it out of the park there. We've done, it's, it's, a, it's an adjustment, as you can see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Adjust between time periods and I and we, but it's a we now, right? Yeah. So the we, we, we obviously hit it out of the park when it came to the branding and, and things like that. And the big attraction of coming in was I was coming into an org that wants to win, yep. um, that now understands that just adding in superstars might not be the way. They've tried that. It didn't work. It could have been particulars it could have been the concept we don't know obviously we're testing along the way right but they understand that there are, there are many different pathways to success and i'm trying to put us down one but around that that the really attractive thing personally is is that we still have a fantastic leadership team we have nade shot we have excellent branding they knocked a lot of kind of the content side out of the park this year so there's a lot of there's a lot for me to learn as i'm growing my breadth of um, capabilities outside of just analyzing league of legends mm -hmm. so surrounding myself with top people in their areas is a learning experience for me and i'm just trying to kind of provide that league of legends direction to try to make sure that our on the Rift results can mirror all the great stuff happening out back. Right, that's a little bit from your side. Now, when these conversations were taking place, what did 100 Thieves come to you looking for? Like mm -hmm. on when that, what what did they say? Pop Smithy, this is what we need in a GM. This is what we would need you to come in and do. Did they have specific asks? Was there a game plan on their side that you specifically aligned with and could fulfill ultimately? I think it was, a little bit. It's, it was definitely a scaled down version of what it turned into. Okay. Um, very much a you know, general manager term, and obviously we're kind of mutually understanding what the responsibilities are. Obviously, I had kind of a, a list of directives, which are very much around hiring staff, hiring a team, signing things up, coordinating on kind of the heist and other content that we're making around League of Legends, all those sorts of things. But I kind of wanted to fill in the blanks with this idea of also being involved in things like marketing and getting to understand things around that and branding and content and, and trying to push the envelope because to me, the GM is very much surrounding yourself, you know, hiring obviously the staff and players that you think can take on the League of Legends side. And look, I, I come into scrims, I watch games, I hold my opinion to afterwards and then ask people questions. I'm not coming in there to do anyone else's job, but okay. my, my, the goal for me is not to Kind of coach them to win League of Legends. That's that's Six's job, right? Right. So at the end of the day, so it's understanding all the different areas that League of Legends 
um, organization can take on, also working with Academy and kind of the future of, of the League of Legends program there. So it's understanding that we have a lot of amazing resources at 100 Thieves and trying to, from my perspective, think about where they are now, where they can go, and what I can do to just shine up what is a really top ship that we have, 100 Thieves. What would you say on the outset of this uh, position has been maybe your biggest obstacle or uh, you know, to overcome? What's been the toughest thing to tackle so far in your new position? I think roster building for 2020 was really difficult. Um, Any particular reason it was difficult or just in general it's a difficult thing to do? At the end of the day, like you, you set your goals, right? Yeah. Um, and I think, I hope, I imagine that every team sets the goal of being able to win Worlds. Now, for a North American LCS team, given that's something that hasn't happened before, maybe it goes more towards the fanciful side as, say, for example, a G2 who was so close, right? right? It's a bit pie in the sky, but it's still, but it's still, it's still, it's still a goal that everyone should have in mind. And you look down at the teams that have done that. Team Liquid, obviously, four back-to-back. And you look down, you say, okay, this team pretty much has top three in every role. Um, and, you know, they've been able to be coached smartly and they've kept their egos in checks and they've continued to grow and roll with the times. Yep. They're doing a lot right there. And then you come into a team and when it came, we had a lot of contracts expiring. Um, you know, we had two Korean imports who were kind of the bedrock of the team and then potential for a lot of change there. And then it's kind of like, okay, now you need top three in every role if you're going to compete. Right. And so you have to start thinking, can I do that now? Do I have to start thinking about a longer term approach where am I hedging my bets? Where am I taking my risks? And where are you getting there? Because you can't get the fantasy lineup, right? Like if everyone's yeah. asleep at the fantasy draft and you end up with licorice, you know, all the superstars all the way through, right. then you're going to win the league, right? That's just the reality there. But it turns out when you're like, could I please have your best player? <laughs> People are not they, that interested. They say no. no. Yeah, more often than not. <laughs> um, that's uh, that's amazing. Yes, if everyone could throw $50 million at the problem, then everyone would be the best team in the league, right? And that's just simply not the case. So then what exactly is your philosophy around building a team? Do you think, do you think that people look too short-term currently in League of Legends? This, exa- this exactly this idea, you've, you sort of prefaced it, this idea that like, can I achieve top three in every role this split? Probably not, mm-hmm. right? Uh, do you think too many teams that are looking at the problem that way and try to make the best team for this split as opposed to saying, what's my two-year plan to be the best team in the LCS? See, I, I don't want to come in and, and ascribe what other to, teams to what other teams are doing. Fair enough. I'm not in those meetings. I just went through my first round of what an offseason looks like. And there are some days where, oh boy, yeah. are you uh, growing gray hair? Like I already had the gray coming. <laughs> well, dude, we get a we get a before and after uh one year GM uh so photo before, for Papa Smithy. Oh. <laughs> okay, well then let me just ask it from from your perspective. Mm-hmm. Um do you want I mean what was your approach then? Uh, you identified, hey, I don't think I can get necessarily, I can buy top three. There were a lot of, var- I mean, there's variables, right? Like yeah. on, on the one hand, you look at what you have, where we had some great players, specifically import players, and, and try to understand what roster around them can work. You look at the landscape of the market, and we kind of had this, you, you know, very early, you look at the contract database, who's expiring, and yep. you're like, okay, a lot of junglers look like they're going to be available this offseason. So North American jungler seemed like something that a lot of teams are on the market for. We saw a lot of movement in terms of the junglers. In fact, I think basically every Almost every single jungler, jungler moved. Yeah. Did any jungler not stay? Actually? I mean, Blabber, I guess, was the... the right, okay, yeah, he was already stayed. on C9, but now into the official starter position here. But yeah, in so a weird way. So you start penciling, okay, maybe North American jungler, not sure who, 
waiting for obviously the, the windows to be able to go there. Yeah. And then it's what roster can I put together that I feel like can compete and how aggressive a timeline can I put on that and give myself options. And that was kind of the the, the philosophy I went through. Right. The, the unique thing about this offseason that I learned, it's not something that's been talked about publicly, but this was not an offseason where I, people heard, obviously, all the rumors around big transfer fee for Vulcan and Vulcan's moving yeah, that he to was, Cloud9. He was, yeah, big. But that was actually, uh, there were not a lot of players that were just, here's the number and now you have him. Oh. Almost all players were, what's the trade going to be? Or what do you have to offer here? And it, it's nice that you've got money, but... Right. You actually can't buy What's a the player team to replace like that I'm this joining? player. Yeah. So there was a lot of different variables going on there. And when we didn't have a lot of capital, because most of our contracts were expiring, it was a lot of, okay, how are we going to be able to actually find a first piece to build yeah. on and from there? And who will that first piece be? So there was definitely a lot of philosophical directions a roster can go into. Um, and it was a challenge. Don't get me yeah. wrong. It was a challenge, but... I'm super happy with what I ended up with, but man, there were some days at the start there where I was like, where, where are we going? Yeah. Where are we going today? Well, so, okay, so talk to, what was the the, ba the base? I mean, I imagine it's it's the guys who s stayed on the roster, mm -hmm. right? But was the was the concept, hey, someday that's someone we want to work back into the starting LCS lineup and build a team around him specifically? What was your attack plan? Was it a play style? And I want to find five players that fit a specific way of playing the game? Was it, I'm just going to look at individual skill and trust that we can coach them into mm -hmm. a team? Kind of what was the attack plan in the offseason for identifying the players that you'd want to ultimately court? So the two earliest things I focused on was, let's find a head coach. Um, it became clear that there was needing to be a change at 100 Thieves. We're going to move away from Prolly, and it was, who's out there? What's possible? What am I looking for in a head coach? Yeah. I played around with the idea of a Korean head coach and kind of bringing in a different perspective there. But ultimately, I decided, no, I, I need someone who knows the North American ecosystem from behind the scenes rather than I watched a lot of LCS and kind of lived through a lot of the competitive scene. I need right. someone who had those eyes, right, the experienced eyes, while I grow those. Like maybe in maybe the next coach, who's to say if Tony is going to be our coach for five years right. or not, but... In the future, when I've grown a competency of knowing North American system from actually being in it, then maybe there's flexibility. You can afford to look exactly. somewhere else. But being able to come in and, and pick up Zix early in That's the That's a huge season, pickup, too. It was a really big pickup for me because it's someone who I've known even tangentially from when Monty worked with him right. five, six years ago, You know yeah. when he was an assistant Back when coach. they had the wheel of how to win. I was doing the sums, and I think I worked out that he might be the longest-standing English coach of all time he very well might be yeah 20 because 2014 to now right constantly employed otherwise you would look at i mean the other names that jump to my brain are people like loco but mm -hmm. he's had stints not as head coach and then parth similar mm -hmm. thing he's both been a coach but also you know he's kind of wavered in yep. his, his title so yeah zix probably is and he's someone who i have a lot of respect for who knows the scene who you throw a name he's he knows about them whether yeah. it's solo q star or you know, an experienced player. And that's something that was really important for me because I can't be the expert on North America because I decided I wanted to be. I have right. to actually learn that it's a competency to grow that I will grow over the course of this year. So having that was, was super helpful mm -hmm. to have that really experienced perspective. And in joining with that, casting a world final where we had superstar mid lane matchup, right? Oh, so Caps good. in the mid lane, Doimby in the mid lane, and they're playing Nautilus versus Pike in game number one. So they're not looking for who's getting their lost chapter back timing, who's like eking out CS solo kills. No, like it's very much a 
this game's about movement. I think right. the game has tended more and more away from individual lane advantages to whatever advantage you can get, how can you spread it? How right. can you take over the map? The moment that your mid lane is going towards the top side, the enemy top laner can't push up because he doesn't know if the enemy mid lane is going to collapse or not. Right. They have to pull back. So it became such a team-focused game that I had this thought of it needs to be you know, an English first language squad. It needs to be people who are very experienced in speaking in English. So that okay. obviously put the roster in a certain direction there. Um, but so I was thinking, okay, I want my players who are communicators, who can move, who speak English. Like those were kind of the very basic things. And I've got my head coach, but still there was a lot of work to be done. Right, yeah. So Zix is a huge first pickup. Now let's work through some of the other mm -hmm. uh, roster moves. I think the one that uh, jumped out to me straight away was the fact that Medios is returning to 100 Thieves. And mm -hmm. I think... Uh, it's a question that has to be asked. This is a guy who was kicked from this org. Mm -hmm. Now, understanding that a lot of the pieces have have changed, mm -hmm. and so the environment is, by virtue of that, different. Um, talk to me about the process of getting Medios uh, in general, but also having a conversation with a player around, like, the culture here is different than when you were here and, and bringing somebody like him, and then Cody Sun as well, yep. you know, back into back into the team. It was an interesting experience because I, I, he's someone that I've known, you know, from his kind of stints on the broadcast team from time to time doing analyst desk and things like that. Uh, over the years, I did some work before kind of worlds and big tournaments going around the Cloud9 house when they were visiting Korea and yeah. getting to watch scrims and talk to them about the game. Like he's a name, you know, he's a very opinionated guy, as you know, you've oh, very. sat next to him many times, <laughs> talked to him off air. Uh, so he's someone who's game He's knowledge. probably one of the pro players I'm most well acquainted with. Which makes a super social guy. Yeah. Uh, whenever there's a content request from Riot, I'm like, is this Medios? It's always He's gone Medios. Home. I was literally, I mean, we were talking about this. I was filming with him on, on Sunday, a piece that uh, somewhere else future, yesterday. I that believe. will come out in the future, right? So a little bit Timelines of timeline messing with you right there. there. But uh, yeah, he's always a joy to work with. And it's very, you know, you reach out to a player like that. And if he just said, no, like this, this org did me wrong, I'm not interested. Like mm -hmm. you couldn't really blame him for that, right? Like he gets to have his say on it. Right. Um, but the first thing he said was... When I heard the news that, that you were becoming part of 100 Thieves, all I could think about was that I wish you were there, you know, back when I was on the team. So that obviously means a lot, the personal connection there. And he was actually our, our first player signed. So he was the first player okay. to commit. And he committed with, a, you know, roster ideas. But as you can imagine, nothing a lot down. of top players, you know, top three players in their role, they want to know who everyone else is before they give you the green light, right? right. There's a lot of agency there. And so for him to, to commit early allowed us to start locking in other names. Yeah. And then, I mean, that speaks volumes to, uh, I mean, I'm just going to compliment you here straight up. It speaks volumes to to, to what you mean, obviously, uh, as an addition to the org. Because uh, I will also say that on, on Sunday, I asked a similar question uh, to Medios, and mm -hmm. uh, he echoed exactly what you just said, that he was like, well, it was when I heard that Papa Smithy was joining as GM that I got excited about returning to that team because I think he's got an incredible mind uh, analytical mind around League of Legends mm -hmm. and really, really pushes to understand the game uh, and and the way it changes. Um, and so that just brings up another uh, quick question. It's a little slight deviation, but sure. a quick question, which is that, do you feel like there's an undue pressure on you because of your status as a caster to be successful as a GM? You just are a bigger public face than most GMs are in the LCS. Um, do, and with your... Uh, wide knowledge of the game itself. Do you do you feel some kind of added pressure from the public that like you got to make it happen in this first split or first year? 
I think there's always two sides to the same idea. Like you're talking about the added pressure, but I also read so many comments where like he's already the best GM. Like right. I loved him as a caster, and like he's number one. Okay, can people be as good as him? And it's right, like, and I'm looking at those being like, I I haven't done anything. I haven't yet. done anything yet. <laughs> you know, and that's that's the because you're in the public eye, you're always going to get both, right? Okay, and because my reputation as a caster was was really positive, right? It's mostly the side I'm talking about, where it's a lot of people giving me undue praise. And obviously, you lose four stage games in a row, and then suddenly the other side comes out, right? Right. So at the end of the day, I'm I'm aware that I'm a very public GM, um, and that's not something that can be lost on me. But it's like, things like a player, you know, just from personal conversations and appreciating my casting, committing to my team, is not something I take lightly. Like, mm -hmm. That's something that allowed us to to kind of put together the roster we did was someone taking a leap of faith with me. And at the end of the day, five LCS players, five Academy players, they've all taken a leap of faith that mm -hmm. I can make the transition and I'm taking a leap of faith that I can make this transition. And only hindsight will prove whether that was true. Yeah. I just know that for me, um, I've, I've always been single-minded about the ascent. If I'm not the best at something, I try to work out why I'm not, and I address that as fast as I can. I always look for the intermediate steps towards growing there. I am never someone that suffered being fine at something. I yeah. always want to get in there and get better. So I've been super upfront with Medios and with other people who have a lot more experience of what a League of Legends kind of team and org looks like. And yeah. I say, look, I'm going to make mistakes in this transition. I can't nail it every time. Coming from the broadcast side, coming from Korea to North America, there's going to be times I make mistakes, but mistakes are a good thing. Mistakes are a thing to be embraced because only from mistakes can you learn. If you're not making enough mistakes, you're not taking enough risks. Right. So I'm going to try stuff, and I'm empowering everyone to be very clear with their feedback. And yeah. hopefully, Have you made any big mistakes yet? I don't think I've messed anything up in a massive way, but right now kind of that we're just starting to understand what the day-to-day -day ecosystem looks mm -hmm. like and I've, I've definitely asked a lot of dumb questions that's, i'm like hey, what about this and no people questions. like that's a dumb question right? that's yeah. a dumb question that's I'm a, like, okay, they well, just tell you straight up that's a dumb question i'm like what about this night that we tried that on three other teams that didn't work I'm like, okay. oh okay well it seemed cool when i was a caster but right oh trust me we have so many opinions as casters oh, really? of, of the way yeah <laughs> i mean i know you i'm just like it's to the audience you learn we're a lot very aware i know that we sit there on the analyst desk and we're like They've got to do something. That this would definitely work if they were to employ this. And it's you like, just nah, learn. You just don't understand the breadth of what you know about a single team. And you, obviously, a lot of other teams are in mystery. Is so different because the broadcast is always from the what is the established, what is the theory of the new. Let's put those together and evaluate whether it should have stuck with established or right. gone in a new direction. And you're doing just a whole lot of yeah. uh, hypothesizing, right? Meanwhile, like, between when those you, extremes, when you know it all, you'll have cases where like a champion pick doesn't come in in a, in a stage game. People are like, why didn't they just pick a Zier here? Right. But of course, if you'd been in the trenches, you know that maybe you lost eight Zier scrims in a row. Maybe this is like the one champion where they lost a stage game on it two years earlier, and now it's like they just, it's the death it's, of them. It's, yeah. it's like they just don't want to play that. And mm -hmm. there's a lot more, and you get this from coaches sometimes. You know, I feel like Reaper has said this sometimes, where he's like, no, that the players just didn't want to play that, so I didn't pick it. Right. And that's not something you can say as a caster, because then you're, 
we, if you're like, maybe you just didn't feel it today. Right. What, what a lame it's piece of analysis. So much, uh, right? Yeah, maybe they just didn't want to play. Well, no, no shit. But then when right? you're actually yeah. there, you're like, oh, actually, that that is a real thing. <laughs> that, that was you know, the you learn it. So there's a lot of stuff there where you're like, oh, that's why yeah, these like, things happen. Wow. Okay. Uh, back onto some of the roster uh, roster moves. The other the other massive one that that jumped out to me is uh, Rioma. Am I saying is it Rioma or Rioma? So I've heard it both ways. The Prince of Tennis character is Rioma Echizen, I think. Right. I had to learn this. I, I don't watch anime, yeah. but uh, I believe we're going with Ryoma. Ryoma, okay, because uh, that's what Medios was saying on Sunday, okay. and I had always heard we it. We had Ryoma a conversation prior. Like three days earlier yeah, where yeah. I was like, "What are we going to? What do? are we going to call him?" Okay, um, so Ryoma, and he liked Ryoma more. Right. Also, we've dropped the zero; it's an O now. Okay, sweet. the zero was very edgy. But I no, but I'm I'm a more. fan of real letters. Okay. Um, Quick shot also <laughs> as an made English that speaker, as someone who has to hey, read those five, names. Five six years ago, zero was the way. Quick shot had a zero back in the day. I'm watching you. I know that just means you weren't the original. Because somebody else <laughs> got the O. Um, but Ryoma, uh, relatively unknown. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people are going to be listening to this and be like, I've never even heard that name. Sure. But the reason why this pickup is so intriguing to me is that it is an OCE pickup. Mm-hmm. And one of the major differences, uh, or one of the major talking points, rather, in this offseason in particular, was the idea of imports mm-hmm. with a couple of factors uh, playing into that conversation. Number one, import rules changed in academy yep. um, to uh, only dictate that the top four regions are an import, which would allow you to fill up an uh, academy squad with entirely OCE players or LATAM players if you so desired and maybe can start to cultivate some more talent mm-hmm. uh, in the LCS through the academy system. Yep. By the same token, one of the other conversations was, why are no NA mids mm-hmm. finding starting positions outside of Golden Glue on Golden Guardians? And here we have Ryoma coming in as an OCE player, relatively unknown, earning a starting spot. So just walk me through uh, the acquisition of this, this uh, more unproven player. So the timeline here actually can kind of be fully put on the table because all the information about LCS 2020 has largely been revealed here. Mm-hmm. I knew early in the piece this idea of the um, minor region import slot. So while that was there, my first goal was, you know, coming back to what I was mentioning about, you know, mid laners who can communicate and roam and first language English. That was kind of where we started. Like, Let's find an, a mid laner who speaks English, who theoretically is aggressive and can rotate. And obviously that does you know, rule out some people, but yep. we're, we're scouring the world here because right. at this point we had basically committed to the idea of someday coming back to the top and mid laner, import slot, non-import slot, we're looking for the right person, right? So it was all on the table there. Right. Um, and so through that, it was a case of narrowing down, all right, let's start reviewing the tape of basically every candidate that makes sense here. We cast, cast a super wide net. Um, so given the parameters we're talking North America, you know, LCS and Academy, um, Europe and EU Masters. We're looking to, um, gr- I grew it to Oceania, but originally you're kind of just thinking, what did every team do before? All right, the best EU mid they could get. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. But guess what? This And this, now it's the best ju- EU jungler you can get. It's just the sure. best EU whatever. But you understand the attraction there, right? Yes, the absolutely. English, the English side is so, and only more important over time. Right. Um, and so you're looking at your candidates there, you're working out who's even willing to talk to you because it turns out not everyone wants to come to a team that didn't cover themselves in glory in 2019. The brand matters, but then the roster around it matters. Timings matter. There's all sorts of factors there. Right. And it was about where can we find the player that kind of fits what we're looking for in a mid laner. And um, the Oceanic players, obviously I watch more OPL than the average person just because of my association with them in the past. Yeah. And there's players there, but... 
when it's me looking at an OCE player, understanding the fact that this is a region that's never made it to the main stage of Worlds, you know, it's always like, he seems good, but I, I can't be the final decider then. Obviously, I have, um, you know, a crew. It was an assistant coach, um, Jungle Juice, Zix, our main coach, Kelsey also pinch hitting there. Yep. And we had more people kind of uh, associated with the offseason side. So I'm just given names. I'm just like, this guy seems pretty good, you know? And I spoke to Spawn, who obviously yep. knows a lot about the players' reputations and has cast Oceania for a long time. And right. he's like, yeah, he seems good. He's a good kid. So he gave him kind of the, the, um, personality check on the outside there so no risk factors there so it's just a case of what do you guys think about this guy yeah um and i had already recommended a few oc players before and they were like no right and they were kind of at the point where they're like you need to stop recommending OC oce players, players. <laughs> i get it you're australian <laughs> wonderful right yeah, you yeah. know you just um, want to hear that accent from somebody else and in so the, in we're, the house. we're coming in and this is like on the road this is at worlds like i'm just having meetings where it's like we're going over five candidates in a role and what does everyone think about them yeah and so this is like the, you know, probably the last straw for the oceanic region, unfortunately, when it comes to being considered on 100 Thieves for 2020. And uh, we get into the meeting, they're like, Chris, he's actually good. And I was like, okay. All right. All right. We're getting, here yeah, we're getting somewhere. So we, we review him, we look over gameplay, we look over all the intangibles we know, and we're like, this kid seems really good. We don't know what that means. We don't know if that means LCS good. We don't know if that means Academy good. We don't know where it all fits, but it was very much a, we know enough that he's impressed against candidates, you know, worldwide, right? Like, mm -hmm. like, this kid's got something. And so I just made the executive call of, let's just fly him over and have play solo queue. Like, no job offer, no, no specifics. Just, hey, we like what you're doing. Come and play some games. And then let's, you know, kind of have him. He's kind of being slow cooked. Yeah. You know? And, like, we'll keep doing what we're doing. We're still running down all our proceeds. We're still talking to all the teams and all our candidates with mid lane and obviously at this point other lanes as well. Yeah. And then let's work out later where Ryoma fits. Cool. And so that he was very much uh we want him somewhere. Yeah. And let's work out later what makes the most sense. Awesome. So then uh the roster's now been established. Mm -hmm. We've we've landed on our starting five. What are your aspirations here? I know we talked earlier and we said, well, I hope that every team's aspirations ultimately is to win worlds, the mm -hmm. reality in particular for an LCS team, while no LCS team has done it, it might be a little bit less so. Um, and then there's the concept of of baking, cooking a team, right? Mm -hmm. uh, exactly as we talked about with this player, Ryoma. So what are, what are the aspirations here uh, in 2020? The aspirations are definitely, you know, winning every game, going to Worlds, winning yep. the World Final. Um, but obviously there's realism behind it, you know, coming back to Ryoma. Like he proved to be someone who, his professionalism and his application to the game and and his potential upside we thought would be realized. Yes. But to, to finish the point, we were also aware of the change, the likely change, now official change in, in how the year is running in terms of spring split doesn't no longer has the, the circuit points potion. So it was very much a, if we think this guy can grow to be top three, he's kind of got a spring split to go out there, yeah. fail some games. And if we read it correctly, if we read the room correctly, if we did our sums and we worked out his potential, there's time there to grow to be the player that could be top three, that could be a great player here. So there's very much this, we're benefited by the fact that no one really knows what to make of our mid laner or our team in general. We're running back some of the players. We've got a lot going on. Our Pop Smithy guy he seems pretty nice. Like yeah. People have got their takes, but no one's pigeonholed us anywhere. And so it's honestly a case of let's establish our baseline, win some games, lose some games, We'll see how that goes. Yeah. And then 
let's just keep that trajectory up because we now have the luxury of, if you peak in, what is it, August? Uh, July, August, you know, when we're talking about yeah, right at the around end of this end of mid to end of summer split, then you go to worlds. Yeah. And if we've done our correct prep in terms of where this players can get to and where this process can get to, then that is a lot of time for us to get in there mm-hmm. to, to wear the losses, to own the losses, but also to recognize the positives and improve. So I'm just very much about if every day is trending upwards, wherever we start, by the time we end, obviously everyone else is trending upwards as well, right? right? Everyone's trying to do the same thing, but we're trying to, it's my first off season. I feel like we did our due diligences and made the right decisions based on the information we had. And then it's just a constant evaluation of where it's going, but hopefully straight to Worlds. So are there, yeah, ho- hopefully, I would love to see that. Um, see if Papa Smithy comes in as GM, first year wins North America their first world title what a story that would be I would be uh, blessed to cover it we can just edit in the part where I'm lifting the trophy now right yeah. you know what let's just announce it now and we'll just we'll do the post game here um, now uh, are there metrics outside of team placement or finishing place that you that you can use in League of Legends to evaluate success and I'll I'll pitch that in comparison to say a traditional sport where I can look at basketball and I can say, okay, this guy, this is a shooting guard, yeah. right? So he's got to be putting up some points. Like he needs to be putting up numbers. Like I can look at those specific mm-hmm. metrics and say, what's his free throw percentage? These are all inherently valuable metrics. You probably don't isolate one and make a decision based off of a single metric, but you can look at all of them and say, he's either having a good or a bad season. He's on the decline or the incline, whatever. In league, looking at KDA, looking at those kinds of individual statistics, I find are a lot less useful Mm -hmm. in evaluating the success of a player simply because their role game to game can vary wildly. This game, your job is to go down 20 CS and just not die in the top lane because you're in a losing matchup. But next game, you need to stomp him by 20 CS and Mm -hmm. take the turret. So then you can't look at his CSing statistics and say he either is or isn't a good player. So how do you, outside of saying we finished third this split and that's good, that is an uptick from last split, how do you look at a team or a player and actually evaluate subjectively or objectively whether or not they're improving or you know hitting hitting the bar that you need them to hit or you expect them to hit that's a tricky question right um and i think the nuance you speak about is something that's lost on some people where they just see something like a kda or a csd yeah like that means he's better than the guy with the lower number and in traditional sports like you're mentioning the higher your batting average the better you are in baseball right right um but in league there is all that couching and i think some players careers can kind of be unfairly deflated because their numbers were lower, but they, the people in that team knew they played a really important role. So I right. think it's it's a super nuanced thing, and it's something that I think is very difficult for me to on-the-spot answer. Honestly, it's surrounding yourself with smart people whose opinions you respect, knowing and establishing the biases you have. So one of the first things I did with my scouting team was what are your biases? Like, what kind of players do you like and yeah. what kind of players don't you like? You actually because, got that out on yeah, the table. Yeah, I wanted that out on the table because it's it's important to know that about yourself. Absolutely. And everybody likes a certain style of League of Legends, whether that's how they play themselves or this is the beautiful kind. Like, I was a Rocks Tigers guy, not an SKT guy, okay. right? Back right, in right. the day in 2016. And there were different camps for different things. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got that all out there. And it's embracing your biases. You can't okay. just downplay them. You can't control for these things, especially because the numbers aren't just going to answer everything for you. Yep. It's 
understanding those things, putting out your thoughts, and then coming together as a collective and just weighing things and trying to speak about it. It's a very imprecise science, but that's probably why it's so alluring is you're looking at it and you're seeing a player playing an OCE and you're seeing certain things and you're like, I want to see him do that in LCS. Right. This could be great. I don't know what he's doing there, but we can fix that. I think mm -hmm. we're smart, right? You know, like there's all sorts of what ifs there. And so it's very much, I think, putting that all out on the table, making a hypothesis, yeah. working towards it. And then if it doesn't work, then working out what the next steps are there. Because I think if anything, it's an interesting problem to, to solve, right? Um, and it's a problem that both we as analysts in a broadcast, broadcast team, team yeah. solve just as much as oh, everyone yeah. behind the if scenes. If you guys got the secrets, just slide no, we, into my DMs. We don't, but that's, why, but that's why, and as you know, we don't, right? Because we sit, we sit up there and we go, God, I mean, I want to pull stats for this guy, but are the stats, are they really honest? Maybe Who's to what better, the performance faker or a rookie? It's like, right. And, um, and if you what just time put, frame, if you just do a, yeah, if you do a stat side-by-side comparison, you're going to get nothing. You're going to get nothing definitive out of that. Mm -hmm necessarily but that's why i wanted to ask the question to you because i mean only having you know a, a number of months mm -hmm. you know b under your belt behind the scenes it will ultimately lend a different perspective and i guess where i where i imagine you go or where you get value is the conversations with with the people you also consider to be experts mm -hmm. there has to be some amount of faith placed in the roster themselves evaluating their teammates, right? Uh, the same way I would to you at the end of a broadcast, say, Papa Smithy, do you have any feedback? How did you feel about my performance today? Because yours is an opinion, a practiced opinion that I trust. Mm -hmm. Similarly, I imagine then in the team environment, some of the most valuable information you can get is less the objective information of stats and more the subjective information that you're getting from your coaches, your players, and your analysts about this is what I saw and this is what I know about the game to be true or untrue. And I kind of compare it to what's a good cast and what was a bad cast. Yes. Yeah. It's not often that you you nailed everything and predicted everything. It's often the conversation and the things that got you there, like you the work that you undertook, and then people can recognize the journey that you went on. And I think the off season was very much a journey yeah. for me and everyone involved. Tried to surround myself with the smart people, put our biases out there, made our hypotheses, and then we'll learn from that. And it will be something we can return to because obviously we've made notes and we've gone through it in the future to understand oh, we really did think too much about this, yeah. things like that. But to me, it was very much a, what are all these pieces? What do they look like? Would that come together in a way that would work kind of where the meta is and where it's going and where we hypothesize it's moving towards? And right, I can just, you know, take an ax and change that, right? Yeah. And then you got to make your bets. You got to lock it in at some point, right? The first player being signed, the moment that a contract's signed, you're like, okay, I've got a piece now. Yeah. I can only have five Pokemon. One of them's Meteos. So. <laughs> You know, it's and then building around what that means. Hey, that's a good starter Pokemon. I, I feel if, pretty good about if it. If Meteos was offered to me as one of my starter Pokemon, I think I would probably take it. Yeah. And yeah. it's, uh, you know, people try to understand what it means that we have Meteos, we have Someday, you know, we're running back Cody Sun as well, three players from before. And they're like, you know, did you do it because it worked before? And I'm yeah. like, I think the thing you learn, like when people ask for the Rocks Tigers to be rejoined in 2020, I'm like, that team wouldn't be good anymore. So much has changed. And that's the thing is, it's a really happy coincidence that it went this way, but it was very much, uh, okay, we're starting around Medios, smart player, someone I respect, someone that's sh shown that he's willing to 
not just be looking for a specific roster, but actually grow with us and take a risk with us. Mm-hmm. And then, hey, we've got this someday guy, pretty good at the top lane. That he's one's pretty, he's pretty, that's all right. pretty easy, right? Pretty that was, right. That's the easiest <laughs> announcement to make. And then it's a, uh, how do we think this roster will play and, and what kind of AD carry do we want? Kobe yeah. was the last player signed. And it was very much a, well, aggressive mid laner, wants to get in there, going to get some kills into the bit. We'll see how it goes. Medios, control jungler. We need a finisher. Right. And you know who's a great finisher? Cody with enough Sun. CS, it's Cody Sun. You look domestically. I was having, again, I was having this conversation with some of the guys over the weekend. And Cody Sun's stats are an are like this mm-hmm. enigma of like when you talk about LCS great AD carries, mm-hmm. that his his is not a name that's gonna come up in that conversation on the outset. Um, in part because his career has been shorter than some of the other guys, sneaky double lift, mm-hmm. uh, you know, wild turtle, the likes. But in reality, when you look at the numbers isolated to domestic mm-hmm. LCS. I mean, he's right up there. He's right up there dueling double lift for that slot. And the naysayers will come in and say that the numbers, you know, don't necessarily show everything. And the same problem we discussed. We just had this conversation. What I will say is, is that I think everyone would agree that if he's got six items, you know what he's going to do, right? He's reliable in what he can do at a certain point. And where our roster was, we felt like that's what we needed. So the fact that he is running about, the fact that we can have all these remembrances of two years ago is absolutely a fun kind of spillage. Yeah. It can't be a, di- a roster direction to just bring back all, back all the pieces that worked in a meta two years ago. Right. High hopes for 100 Thieves this season. Uh, what about your hopes for North America as a whole? What Just your initial impressions either on some of the roster moves or, or what 2020 is going to look like for the LCS. Are we are we going to step up to it? Is you know Are the teams, the orgs, prepared to really grind to be that competitive in 2020? Have you been excited by some of the roster moves? What's going on there? So obviously my perspective is much more narrowed and focused on one team, right? Yeah. So sometimes it's, it's hard to step back and fully appreciate that. What I will say is, is that if we think of North America as 20 teams, like we include the academy rosters there as well, yep. I think overall the uptick in the level of the academy teams, and some of them are doing different things. Some of them, it's very obvious they're reserved for the first team. Other, it's very much rookies that are getting their first stint. But I think overall, um, the level there has risen across the 20 teams undeniably. Cool. Does that mean we go further in Worlds in 2020? I have no idea. Right. I, I just don't have the information there to make that it'd a, happen. Yeah, it'd be a big prediction to make right now. But I look at it and I say, you know, that's, do the quick maths, 100 players, right? Yes. I think the 100 players are better than the 100 players last year. last year. And I think that if that stays true for one year, two year, three years, it's not going to make our region worse. I, it can I only be helpful. Not. Exactly, yeah. Um, so I really feel like North America is trying to recognize some of the mistakes of the past. I don't look at too many roster moves and wonder why. I understand the theory behind them, and I yeah. like the risks that people are taking. And now I just get to watch on and work out, you know, who did it best, right? Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, To put a little capper on it all, at the top of this, we talked about how um, you look at life and uh, or goals in a couple different lenses. Mm -hmm. The you know the short, the medium, and the long. Um, What are the current short, medium, and long for Papa Smithy? We've put casting at least behind us for now, and we're now in the GM position. I'm not asking necessarily for you to say, well, in five years, I'll no longer be the GM one of these, but you get the gist of what I'm going for here. What's the the game plan for Papa Smithy? I haven't put one second of thought into this. Let's give you the hot takes. (laughs) Let's go, hot takes. Short-term goal is get the the boys ready for first day of LCS, playing Golden Guardians on the first day of the season, so... That's coming up soon. Like, I, I know. At this point of recording, we're like under two weeks, right? So exactly. not long to go till then. So I'm just pumped. absolutely getting 
everything on board. And that's more than just strategy, right? That's mostly Zix's side. It's very much getting everybody comfortable, getting everybody understanding of what's expected, just all the pieces that come to getting a team together. Uh, so that's the short-term goal. Okay. The medium-term goal is very much this development plan and just very much consistently being aware of where we're at, yeah. and documenting that and making sure that we're making our improvements and adjustments where possible. Um, so that will bear out over a season. Cool. The long-term goal um, for the team side, obviously, is success, you know, championships, um, going to Worlds. But if we're going to go more personally for me, it's, again, fully integrating myself with the suite of options there are at 100 Thieves and understanding and growing and picking up responsibilities outside of just off-season roster changes and very much getting involved in whatever I can on the branding, marketing, content sides and things like that and continue to grow because it was this idea of bringing back some of my counseling days and my school psychologist days yeah. and being more than just an analyst. And I've absolutely got an umbrella role that facilitates that. So it's just trying to become more and more of a, a person that can wear many hats and wear them well. Yeah, we didn't we didn't talk about that. The previous uh, experience uh, in in psychology, mm -hmm. um, specifically working with young people too, mm -hmm. right? And and we know that esports is used very young. Um, do, do you feel like that has already paying dividends to you now in the position that you're in, that you have uh, some amount of experience working with young people? I think it's a fine line you have to draw because you can't just be, say, obviously, you know, a lot of teams have sports psychologists, right? Yeah. But I'm a sports psychologist who's the boss. Right. So, there's you a power be, dynamic there. There's a power dynamic there, and it's one that I always kind of leave on the table where if anyone's like, this is weird or this is uncomfortable, then obviously we can look into alternatives there. Yeah. But I do have takes, and I think the players do know I'm on their side and want to see them reach their maximum capacity. So I do enjoy the one-on-one -on -one chats where after a scrim set you take someone aside and you talk about some of the mentoring side, about some of the goal-setting side, mm -hmm. about some of the things you've noticed that worked for them and haven't worked for them, and... I love that con that contact. I love those chats um, and being able to be more player-facing because obviously as a caster, it's much more about speaking about the idea of people, actually having them in front of you and being able to work with them. It's yeah. been super rewarding already. Um, and I don't know where the journey's going, but I'm excited about every single day of Sweet. it. Sweet. My final question for you, uh, TL is is the is the evil the enemy the villain coming into uh 2020 having mm -hmm. one four in a row looking for five maybe mm -hmm. six can the vanguard of nine others take them down will we see a new lcs champion this year honestly i look at the you know the list of names the teams out there and i say that everyone's made changes everyone's working in directions and i think the vice grip of team liquid on first place it's very unlikely to extend to two more championships. There's always the cool. possibility there, but I look at every team and I think this is how this team rises to first, mm. and this is where this team may trip up, and that exists for my team as well. So given that, I think everyone's made bets, and the thing about throwing out bets is, is that not everyone can be right at oh, the exactly. same time. There's going to be um, you know, high-profile successes and high-profile failures, so... I think it's very unlikely that it's going to be business as usual for the LCS this year, and the same name is going to be in the same positions. There could be a topsy-turvy time coming up. There could be a topsy-turvy time. Papa Smithy, thank you so much for taking the time to join me. Best of luck in your newest Honestly. endeavor. We'll, we'll have to check back in and see uh, how maybe any of your opinions around uh, 
general managing and being on that side of the org uh, have uh, shifted, evolved, or changed in the future. But uh, I'm going to let you go, Appreciate and I it. can't wait to see you in a couple weeks on that stage. It's it's going to be fun. I'll mostly be around the back, but I'll try to be out there for a tailgate. And Look, I get so much more Papa Smithy this year than I normally get. The only bummer will be that I don't have Papa Smithy on my analyst desk. Hey. I'll see if I can find some time. All right. We'll work yeah. it out. Well, I'm hoping you're actually at Worlds in a GM <laughs> capacity, maybe, than on a, in an analyst desk capacity. But fingers crossed on that one. That is all the time that we have left for today with Pop Smithy. Once again, thank you so much. I look forward to seeing you on The Rift. We will be back throughout the split with more cues. But I want to know from you at home who you'd like to see me queue up with. Tweet at LOL Esports or at Riot Dash with some suggestions. And we'll catch you next time. Have a good one.